0: I like how you said that Keith is going to talk about Jesus today, um, because that has been the most fun part. I, I, I talk about Jesus every time I, I teach, but that's been the most fun part of the conversation that we're in right now, is that uh, every single week, what we're doing is we're dealing with questions that Jesus asked uh, from the scriptures, and we're kind of allowing them to to percolate in our own spirits and just kind of sit with, if Jesus asked these questions in the Gospels, what does it mean to hear them fresh? Uh, spoken toward us in a, in a new way. So, um, you will see that, uh, you know, we've, we really used a significant part of, of our budget money this year on, on this studio in the basement, um, all 20 bucks of the uh, webcam and everything. But, uh, but you'll see that my whiteboard's a little bit smaller this year or this week. And the reason that my whiteboard's a little bit smaller is a, is good news. And that is because my actual whiteboard is over at Aspira, um, back on, on its, uh, on its stand where it belongs, so we're moving in the right direction. So that is over there, and that's going to be permanently over there. Uh, so once a month now, and uh, and soon we'll be able to be using it every week, and we're hopeful about that. But I do have a whiteboard, and I'm going to use that. Thanks, Bethany, for the uh, tutorial. Otherwise, I would have had no idea how to make the coat of arms. So this week, this week is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday <clears throat> is the week before Easter, the Sunday before Easter every year, and Palm Sunday is. The time, it's this really unique thing. It's the time that we remember when Jesus rode into Jer- into Jerusalem, okay? And, um, and it's significant in two ways every year. Number one, it's significant for us to tell this story because it is one of the very few times where Jesus is truly seen and received as a king, okay? But the second part of Palm Sunday is super awkward because at the exact same time, Palm Sunday helps remind us of how deeply misunderstood Jesus was at the same time, right? So let me talk a little bit about about Palm Sunday itself and why we call it Palm Sunday. They, the reason that we call it that is because when he came into town, people were waving palm branches. But why were they waving palm branches? That is a great question. I'm glad you asked. Just under two year, two hundred years earlier, okay, um, before the time of Jesus, uh, the Syrians had taken over. So, so they had, they had. Um, kind of overcome and, and conquered the whole land and the Jewish people as a part of that. Um, it was really brutal. Um, they came in and they disgraced everything. They Even <clears throat> in the temple, they uh, they took a pig, which was um, an, an unclean animal in Jewish culture, and they sacrificed a pig on the altar on the Holy of Holies of the temple, right? Just completely desecrating it, saying, we have no respect for your religion. We have no respect for you. Um, we will enslave you. We will make you... Um, do our bidding, and so, in the midst of that, this guy named Judas Maccabeus um, was a, a Jewish guy who who led an uprising, and it actually worked in terms of what what they understood, meaning that there was a bunch of big battles. it was super bloody, he was a very, very intense guy, and they won they, they, they kind of took Jerusalem back um, and, and it, was, it was so intense and at the point of victory, what ended up happening was to symbolize their excitement. Jewish people from all over the area, inside the city and outside, they flooded the city, um, and they were they they were waving these palm branches. So you can just imagine just this sea of palm branches waving. These are just kind of palm fronds, so they could have broken off a branch or or taken one of these uh one of these uh, strips, and they were just waving it around like flags, right? And so you can imagine grandparents and children and shop owners and and um. You know, soldiers all together waving this 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 symbol that we have we have overcome, right? We've we've gained our, our freedom, and so just the, an image like that it holds it, it has holding power, and so even when when Judas Maccabeus reigned for a little while, um, what, what he did was he he imprinted uh, images of palms even on Jewish coinage, so so their money even had this palm branch, this symbol of victory, um, you know this this reminder. So, when we get this story in John 12, um, and, and uh, I, I just want you to understand what's, what's happening. In John 12, we're told um, the next day, um, the crowd that had come for the festival, that's the Jewish Passover festival, they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and so they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. Shouting Hosanna, which means "Save," we pray. "Save us," we pray. Um, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel, right? Really interesting language, treating him like a king coming in here. Um, and then we 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 go on, and uh, and Jesus had had would, was riding in on a donkey. Okay, and um, that is a prophetic fulfillment that we're not going to get into too much, except for we'll talk in a moment about what that represents um but as he's being received he's coming into town on a donkey people are shouting hosanna you know um blessed is the king of Israel and it says in verse 16 and i don't know if i have it um i think i do have it if if you want to throw it up onto the screen melanie um this is uh john 12 i'm not sure if i actually put that one on or not but um it says in verse 16 at first, his disciples did not understand all this. This is really crucial. So his disciples are watching it. They didn't understand it all. Only after Jesus was glorified, meaning resurrected, did they realize that these things had been written about him and, and, and that these things had been done to him. Okay? So, so it's really important to understand that while all of this is unfolding, Jesus is coming into town. He's being celebrated. Right? And, and what we're told is that they don't get it. The disciples don't understand. Okay, let's go to that next slide just so that you can see the whole story unfolding. All right, at first in verse 16, at first his disciples did not understand, only later. So you need to understand, you need to understand uh, that the disciples, they didn't get it. And we're not going to be hard on them because they didn't get it, because nobody got it, because there was no framework for what was happening. So they look at this, and they don't understand all of this weird symbolism. And I'm going to explain just a little bit more about that. But through this whole ministry, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God. And then he's welcomed as this kind of a king figure, but he's riding a donkey, which doesn't really match a lot of king imagery. And it says that the disciples, they just didn't understand. Now you have to remember that the disciples had been with Jesus for three years, most of them. Three years, living with him, hearing him teach, seeing him. And they still didn't fully grasp what was going on as he walked up to eventually into Jerusalem and eventually to the cross um, where he was killed. And so, so the disciples, they, they don't understand this because it's not exactly happening in the way that they envision it might. All right. So fast forward a couple of days to um, John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, Jesus is still in Jerusalem, okay, and he's just, he's washed his disciples' feet in the upper room, and they're having all of this really deep, in-depth conversation, and Jesus is talking about um, laying his own life down, and everybody's like, we will too, and G- you know, because they're thinking revolution, and Jesus is like, no, you won't. You won't be able to do what I'm about to do. And and so in we're going to pick this up then in John 14, which is where our question lies, and in John 14, Jesus is talking um, about, about uh, going to a place that, that the disciples can't go yet, but eventually will. All right. And, and they're getting all worried. And he says, don't, don't worry. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And, and then um, he says, you know the way to the place that I'm going eventually. All right. He's talking about kind of the kingdom in fullness. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about the, the, the way of life in the kingdom. You know the way to the place I'm going. This is chapter 14, verse 4. And then Thomas pipes up. And Thomas asks him a question in verse 5. And then this is perfect um, where, where the screen is at right now. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answers with the famous passage, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says this statement. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Right? He's been talking about the Father's kingdom all this time. Right, From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus makes this statement. Okay. And then Philip pipes up and Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. So Jesus is saying, saying you, you know all that you need to know, friends. Like, you, you know me. You're, you're wondering about this, the nature of God's kingdom, but you know me so you know enough about it all. And he says, well, show us the Father and that'll be enough. And then Jesus responds by saying this, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen the Father has seen me. How can you say, show us the Father? Now the reason, so, so, so this, this question here that Jesus says, Don't you know me even after I've been among you such a long time? You think that I am going to somehow show you the Father, but you're looking at him. It's super mysterious. It really messes with you. And the reason that this is connected with what happened on Palm Sunday is that on Palm Sunday, we're told that the disciples didn't quite understand what was happening, even though they had been with Jesus a long time. And we see that this theme has continued into this holy weekend. When Jesus is talking about laying his life down and nobody gets it and and he's talking about how deeply he knows the Father and nobody gets it and they say, well, just kind of show us God. You're talking like you know him so deeply, Jesus. Show us God. And then that'll be enough. Like, what could we possibly need more than to see God? And Jesus says, oh, you're still expecting something that's different from me. But I'm right here in front of you and you are looking at God. But you still don't quite understand. So we want to sit with that question in that next slide that that Jesus asks, and we want to kind of allow Jesus to ask it of us. But we don't want to. We don't want to rush out of the context of what's happening here. Okay, Jesus is is continuing in the midst of this whole journey of Holy Weekend. He's he's continuing to reveal two things. Number one, that um, this this kingdom of God that Jesus keeps talking about, right? Jesus is obsessed with the kingdom of God. His Father's kingdom he talks about. He talks about God's kingdom. But what, what is interesting is that over and over, especially as the Gospels progress, what is getting revealed is that a kingdom requires what primarily? A kingdom has to have a couple things, but the first thing a kingdom absolutely has to have is a king, right? And so what's being revealed is who's the king, at, at first you want to say, well, it's, the king is the, the father, because Jesus is the son of God, right? And so Jesus is like the prince. But what we have in the New Testament, the imagery is not prince imagery, it's king imagery, over and over again, right? They're welcoming their king. In, in John 19, uh, Jesus has a conversation with Pilate, and, and, he, and he pushes Jesus, actually this is John 18, right before the, it continues, but he says, are you the king, you know, you're being called the king. Are you the king? And and Jesus doesn't deny it, but he says, you're the one saying that I am. Um, but but he, he doesn't deny that he's the king. Later, he says in, in the gospels, my kingdom is not of this world, my kingdom, my kingdom, right? Um, and Pilate, he, he gets freaked out by all this, so he tries to get rid of him. <clears throat> and he says to the Jewish leaders, you know, here's your king. And they respond, anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So they are affirming that Jesus is claiming to be king because the Jewish leaders are actually on the side of Caesar at this point. John 19, 15, we have no king but Caesar. So Jesus is setting himself up as an alternative to the king. All right. An alternative to Caesar, like we talked about two weeks ago. And then of course, in John 19, as Jesus is actually crucified, there's a sign on the cross. That says king of the Jews, not claimed to be king of the Jews, but actually king of the Jews in all these different languages. So all of that establishes the fact that Jesus actually is king or is placing himself in a position of being king. All right. So that's a huge, huge part that we have to understand. The second part is that I want to go back to the Palm Sunday story for a moment, because the kind of king Jesus is, is every bit as important as the, the title of king that Jesus is is inviting his disciples to, to see him through the lens of. It's the type of king that is um, that is how we understand everything from this way forward. And this is where it changes our day-to-day lives, okay? Um, something else was happening on Palm Sunday at the exact same time of Jesus riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem, okay? During this time of Passover, the, the crowds would really swell, as all of the Jewish people came into Jerusalem to celebrate, so during that time, in order to keep the peace and to quell any uprisings, okay, um, Rome would send their Roman occupational guard into Jerusalem for the weekend—a show of force to say, just in case anything or anybody gets out of hand, we are right here, right now. It's it's like, um, yes, yeah, sending in the national guard, sending in the troops into a city to say. <clears throat> this is a show of force, and we are here to control you. If you get out of hand, so don't make a misstep. Okay, it happened every year. Um, the Roman govern governor of Judea, which was Pilate, lived in Caesarea on the coast. Right? He had a, I don't know, he had a, a big old mansion by the bay. So, so he's he lives out there, but then he makes this trek in for the weekend. That's why Pilate's in town during this time in Jerusalem. He didn't live there. So they would come in from the re- from the west. and he would ride this war horse with all of these marching uh, soldiers down into town. Trumpets, fanfare, everything. This huge parade to say, the power is here. The power is entering the city. So that's happening on the west side. And on the east side comes Jesus with a whole bunch of peasants waving palm branches, and Jesus is riding on a donkey. And we are intended—see, nobody in the original audience had to be explained this— but, but we're intended as readers to understand everything that was happening. And so we're, we're intended to understand that Jesus is setting himself up as a king, but as a completely different kind of a king, riding a donkey, right? Riding a, a, an animal that, that works the land and, and, and bears burdens, not something that's bred for aggression and war, which is what horses were often used for at this time. So you can see the contrast of kingdoms happening here, right? You get it? Um, so, so outside of that, you know, there's this understanding of everybody waving their palm branches after the Maccabean revolt, thinking that Jesus is going to be that kind of a king. And what we're told in Luke is when he sees the city, he looks at the city and he starts to cry. He starts to weep. And we're told that the reason he starts to weep is because Jerusalem doesn't understand the things that make for peace, the things that make for wholeness. And we know that he's not not only talking about those who were oppressing the Jewish people, but even the Jewish leadership. They don't understand what God's heart and kingdom are all about. And can we just talk about crying in public for just a second, right? Crying in public is like the least kingly thing that a king would ever do. Jesus does not match the expectations. Um, Can you imagine like this awkward moment? where Jesus like gets to the the city and he just sees it and his heart's just overwhelmed. And he's sitting on this donkey and he just starts to cry. And, and all people that are shouting like stand there super awkward. Right. And one of the disciples like leans over to Jesus and like Jesus, I, I believe your, your line is like, let's go in there and kill those. So, you know, fill it, fill in the blank. Right. Like, and Jesus just sits there And weeps because of how wrong their expectations are. You guys, you're missing the donkey. Jesus is thinking, you're missing the big picture. Did you hear what I said about the kingdom? It's like a treasure in a field that's buried that costs everything to buy. It's like a mustard seed that goes crazy on the hillsides, planted underneath the soil, popping up all over the place. Looks weak from the outside, but is so strong that it can transform hillsides. It's like a party that makes room for everyone. How do you equate that with going to war against the Romans? You don't understand the things that make for peace. Your expectations are off. So this is where let's be a little bit more explicit about all of this stuff. As Jesus takes on this mantle of King of kingship, what are the things that a king cares about? And this is, kids, if you've been tracking with us and you've got your coat of arms ready, um, these aren't the right words yet, but I'm, go- I'm about to give you after, after this first part when I actually write inside here. You can draw pictures of those, those representations. Um, but uh, Jesus sets himself up against the powers of the world, but also against the methods of the world. Okay, And so when you think about a king, the thing that, uh, that kings care about They care about power. They care about honor. They care about expansion. And they care about succession. Right? Just give that some thought, right? Kings. They care about power. They care about honor. They care about expansion gaining more ground, and they care about succession, leaving their legacy, who's going to come after. So let's just think about how Jesus looks at these things. Power uh, for, for a king is often used to control under fear of death. It's, it's used to say, you do what I say, I have the power, and if not, I will oppress you, I will, I will kill you, I will force you to do it, right? But like we talked about just a few weeks ago, In the kingdom of God, when Jesus is king, power is used to serve. Okay? Influence is used on on behalf of the one who doesn't have influence. It's leveraged. All power that anyone has is leveraged for the sake of the one who doesn't have power. And what power looks like is not strength over, but strength under to lift up and not push down to elevate and not oppress okay so so dynamic difference from Jesus what about the second one honor honor was reserved for honors about making sure that the king makes it clear to everybody that I'm important you better honor me you walk into the king's hall and you bow right you get on your knees and if you don't i mean we see this in in the book of Esther you know, Esther enters and she's worried that she's either going to be killed or he's gonna say, Yeah, you can talk to me, because she didn't have permission. Right? So so she, she it was gonna be dishonor. All right. So honor was about being held at an elevated thing. It's not about power in terms of what I do, it's about how you see me. Right? And so so that's how honor is used. But but honor in the kingdom of God and how Jesus uses honor is reserved special honor. Is is res, um, not reserved for the king and his elite or their heroes. Honor is reserved, and specially given to the ones who have never experienced it. Honor honor is given to the ones who have been dishonored, who have been marginalized, who have been oppressed, who who have uh, who have been ignored, who don't have enough people that our society would look at and say you're on the bottom, the poorest, the least influential where we might actually say, you know, the lowest in our world is who Jesus gives special honor to, who Jesus teaches people to give special honor to, the overlooked and the ignored, the sick. They are honorable. They are deserving of being noticed. They are deserving of equality and care and justice and equity. So, so, big deal that Jesus chooses not to, to bring honor to himself and be... be I mean, the only, the only lifted up that Jesus does is when he's lifted up on the cross, dying for the sake of others to break the power of sin and death, right? So, it's beautiful. All right, let's talk about expansion. Let's keep going. Um, oh, by the way, one more glimpse of the whole king motif in, in, in terms of honor. When Jesus is telling the story in Matthew 25... About um, how the Son of Man will one day sit on the throne and separate goats and sheep, and and it's going to be and and the, the image is um, who had compassion on others and who didn't. He goes right from saying the Son of Man will sit on the throne, and then the King will say to those on his left and right. So Jesus moves right from Son of Man to the King, <laughs> and the King says, "When you did it for the least of me, when you offered water, when you visited a prisoner, when you when you helped feed or clothe someone who was hungry or naked." Um, these things you did to me, you are honoring me by caring for the lowest that 's a really, really crucial part, and Jesus is so clear about it all right expansion all right expansion is the idea that I want to conquer and I want to build and I want to um to to expand and it 's usually by force um and violence right uh during during the time of Jesus, if you did not declare that Caesar was Lord, you would be killed. You know, they would take on villages and all villages had to kneel and declare that Caesar is Lord. So you could either become a subject, a slave, or you'd be killed. Those are your two options. But if you don't declare Caesar is Lord, boom, this is how we expand. Unfortunately, the church and, and Christian and American history, all of those things have really ugly, similar foundational roots at various, at, at the most shameful times of, of our own history. But that's not the kingdom. It never was, even if it had a Christian stamp on it, it never was. Um, so, so, you know, Jesus wants to expand the kingdom. No doubt. All through the scriptures, all through the New Testament, we see this. Um, because if the kingdom of God expands, there will be more hope in the world. There will be more freedom. Um, there will be healthier marriages. You know, there will be more compassion. But it's an opt-in kingdom. It's an invitation come and join us. Jesus does not force himself on people. That's the beauty and the magic of it. So this expansion is by invitation, not by force. So there's another word. See if you can come up for a come up with an image for invitation. And finally succession. And this is this is a really interesting one because in the world of Jesus, I'm sorry, in the world of kings, succession would happen when um, when a, a king would look and they would say, who will, who will carry on the tradition? And it was usually the firstborn son, right? Um, that's what you want. My my blood, my flesh, strong man, you know, like this was the patriarchy that was passed on. And it was, so, so I would be succeeded by my firstborn son and they would rule everyone and they'd kind of do it my way. Now, Jesus, here's the fascinating part. In the world of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, Guess who becomes the successors? The subjects of the kingdom become the royalty. Jesus looks and he says, all you who had come after me, my spirit will be with you. We share communion by taking in the blood of Jesus. We have the royal lifeblood of God in us, all of us, from the lowest To the greatest in worldly standards. So, this idea of succession is not given to the one special one, it's given to all who come to be children of God. And everyone is given the opportunity to be children of God. So, I love that the peasants get adopted into the royal family, you know, and normal people lead out the kingdom. So, this is just everyone. Everyone who receives the invitation, or who responds to the invitation. Gets to succeed and spread, um, spread the good news and and experience uh, or embody the uh, the kingdom. So, so um, today we are really often tempted to claim a Christian faith that reflects the systems of the world, right, more than the uh, the cross of Christ and the systems of Jesus. Uh, we can't talk about this enough. I know I talk about it a lot. We can't talk it about enough because um, because. It happens so subtly in our lives that we adopt these other values. And we think that they're Christian often because you hear people espousing these values uh, but using Christian language. But they're just the normal kingdoms of the world values. Um, and, and so, But it sounds Christian, so we think that, that maybe it is. But that's not the way of Jesus. Over and over again, we have to understand that to understand the Father's kingdom, we have to look directly at Jesus in the face and know who Jesus is because then we are looking at the Father. Okay. At least according to Jesus. You can disagree, but you're disagreeing with, with Jesus, not me. Um so Palm Sunday maybe is a day where we learn to delight in God disappointing us. <laughs> um because we realize that what we want is not always what we need. And what we tend to want is power, we want revolution, we want influence. You know, we want force often to get to, even if our desires are a good place that we want to end. The means we often use are the ways of the world. Jesus refuses to be a king that can bring about those things. um, And we often lack imagination to think of it in Jesus's way. So Jesus comes on this cult, right, on this donkey, inviting a revolution of the heart first, and then a subversive, humble revolution of the world that's founded on sacrificial love. That's what Palm Sunday's about. So the palm branches of victory um, that we were just looking at, you know, we transform them every year into a cross. And are reminded that the way of the kingdom is the way of laying down your life and not conquering others. And so we have these crosses, Melanie and I, at both of our houses. We've got baskets out front that any time today or this week that you want to swing by um, and we sent a text out about it, but maybe Melanie can put some information again in the chat box for you. Um, you can swing by and you can pick up one of these if it's a helpful tool. Normally on Palm Sunday, we make them together. Um, but, but we wanted to make them available to you. So they'll be out all week for a couple or at least for a couple days. Um, if, uh, if you want to pick up a few, we've got 60 or 70 at my house. I don't know how many Melanie has at her house. But, uh, but anyways, we, we embraced the nature of the kingdom and we embraced the cross in this way. And, uh, and so this is God. And it's hard to understand this way of life. Um, And we don't get it because it doesn't make sense according to the expectations that we often have. Um, And the disciples, they don't get it either. Not quite. They don't get that Jesus is doing what God does and being who God is. that, That the Father is dying on the cross too. With the Son. And it's hard to understand um, because it's getting turned upside down. So so on Palm Sunday here, we sit with that original conversation that happened just after the Palm Sunday experience between Philip and Jesus. And we let Jesus ask this of us. Don't you know me even after I've been with you so long? And we ask ourselves that question humbly. So if you sat with that question and, and, and listened to Jesus say, in what ways do you not quite know me even after you've been with me so long? You know. What assumptions do you still make that don't line up with Jesus? In what ways are you still ignoring who God really is? If Jesus is our definition of God, of, of what God is really about, you know. Um, the, the thing is that the disciples had heard everything to this point. Jesus wasn't revealing anything new. It just hadn't stuck. So often we hear things over the years as you read the gospels you hear things you've seen it all it just maybe hasn't stuck some elements of it the power of god's grace the power of that love the the reality that you are children of god independent of how much you accomplish the reality of this nonviolent way of being in the world where we forgive and even acknowledge the humanity of our enemies whatever the case might be that we struggle with ask yourself that question humbly what do you know about Jesus that maybe hasn't taken root? And don't hear Jesus condemning you when he says, how have I been with you so long? You know, but, but maybe let it be a little bit of an encouragement wake up call. Is there anything that Jesus would say about that question for you? Um, so we're going to take five minutes in our, uh, I'll, I'll pray here and then we'll take five minutes to um, respond in smaller groups not smaller groups, they're still pretty big, so don't worry if this is your first time. You do not have to speak up at all, you can stay muted, whatever. Um, but you'll get a chance to share anything that bubbles to the surface, and make sure you don't share too long in case multiple people have some some sentence that they'd like to offer. But maybe, what do you know about Jesus that you feel like just hasn't quite taken root yet, that is this upside-down kingdom? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thanks for uh, the time to think about this complicated question, and to remember the beauty of this Palm Sunday story, even Uh, even though it's so much about you being willing to disappoint human expectations for the sake of a much deeper and more wonderful kingdom. So be with us as we uh, keep figuring out this discipleship thing and learning how to live well with you as our king. Amen.